and welcome also to those uh, that are joining Northern Community on podcast or on video. Uh, it's great to have people all the way from Hong Kong, which is fantastic, uh, Canberra, um, as well as those that are listening to us on podcast from around the place as well. Um, it was great to have Deborah uh, Story share with us from last week and how she uh, was able to help us to think about ushering through, uh, ushering in the kingdom of God uh, through prayer, but also in the outworking, the decisions that we make, even simple decisions, like the decision about what sort of toilet paper we use and, uh, and where we get it from and just being mindful of those sorts of things. Earlier in our time together, we also had an opportunity to uh, do some show and tell about significant times in our life and looking at mementos and souvenirs from that special time for each one of us. For me, um, and you'll probably be able to see it on the screen uh, behind me, there's a photo of me uh, uh, when we were in 2014. Uh, Mary and I were doing a trip around Tassie for about a two week period. And we got to do a trip around a whole heap of different places. And one of those places uh, was the Gordon River Dam. And uh, this is a, a special time for me where I got to abseil down uh, the Gordon River Dam, which is about 140 metres um, tall. So it's a bit taller than the uh, Sydney Harbour Bridge. And I was able to abseil down that twice, which was uh, a, a really uh, fun time. And it was Mary's uh, first time abseiling as well. And so she chose to also abseil um, down the Gordon River Dam and so, hey, if you're going to do an abseil, why not do it on the, the tallest uh, place that you could ever abseil uh, in the Southern Hemisphere as far as a commercial abseiling place. And I think for many of us, we have a special time in our life when we have that moment that we just want to hang on to that. It, it's just one of those precious moments that if you could bottle it up in some way, it would be great to be able to do that. And I can only imagine that for the life of Jesus and the transfiguration, that it was one of those moments. So if you have a Bible, then I encourage you to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 43. Luke chapter 9, verses 28 uh, to 43. Uh, for over two years, the disciples had been uh, following their rabbi Jesus as he taught them and uh, taught them what it meant to usher in the kingdom of God. Jesus had fed the crowds, he'd healed the sick, he'd set captives free, and all the while he'd been redefining and challenging the understanding and the perceptions of the Messiah, God's saviour of the world. Two years of ministry uh, seemed to build to this mountaintop goosebump delivering crescendo. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Jesus and his followers had made their way from Galilee in the south up to Caesarea Philippi, a journey of about 60 kilometres, and it had probably taken them a couple of days. It was a trip that Peter, uh, on that trip that Peter made the declaration that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of a living God. Arriving at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus continues to minister there in the early summer of 29 AD. Luke chapter 9 verse 28 tells us that it's about eight days later that Jesus, along with three of his closest followers and friends, Peter, James and John, head off. They leave the town behind them, heading through lush green gardens still drenched with the heavy dew from the night before. 
The sound of the Jordan springs that give life to the Jordan River become a whisper as they make their way up windy, rocky paths. Before them rose Mount Hermon. It was with the changes of elevation came the changes of their surroundings. Farmed land gives way to woodlands containing pines and oak trees. In contrast to the canopy of trees, clear blue skies with warm sun bathe the path in light. The gentle dry warm winds from the southern desert licked the tops of the trees as the shadows danced across these pilgrims and their path. The changing altitude brings a thinning of the vegetation as they reach the summit in the late afternoon. At its peak, Mount Hermon, with its patches of snow, reaches around 9,000 feet, some 600 feet higher than Mount Kosciuszko. As the sun sets to the west, the solitude of the summit made its presence felt. There Jesus settles with his closest friends for a night of prayer. True to form, the three disciples eventually moved from deep prayer to deep sleep. First one and then the other two soon followed. After all, it was a long walk and how are they to know that Jesus was going to get some visitors? While Jesus was praying, his appearance began to change, to dazzle white with his face shone like as if they were staring into the sun. Peter, James and John woke to the sound of other voices. Soon came, they, they soon came to realise that the other two with their teacher were Moses and Elijah. These were two of the greatest heroes in the scriptures. And here they were with Jesus, the fulfilment of all their hopes and dreams. It's worthwhile also joining the dots of the Bible reading that Amy read earlier. You're thinking, well, what, what on earth has, has that Bible reading got to do with us today in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and 34? On another mountain centuries earlier, Mo Moses had strained his eyes to take in the sights of the distant promised land. Unable to enter it for himself, he looked across the Jordan Valley at the river carving its path between Mount Nebo and the promised land. He could see the promised land before him, but it was off limits to him. There Moses died on Mount Nebo, overlooking a world of promise and prophecy of the Messiah who would also in the future walk that land. There was no way that uh, Moses would have known when he closed his eyes centuries ago that God would allow him to set foot on the promised land, to talk with the promised Messiah, Jesus. What a goosebump moment, spine-tingling rush that must have been for Moses. The Italian artist Raphael Sanzio in the 16th century, in his, la his last painting that he painted, captured onward the transfiguration. Jesus in the centre of the painting with Moses on the left and Elijah on the right, Moses symbolises uh, Jesus' fulfilment of the law and Elijah symbolises Jesus' fulfilment of the prophets. 
the northernmost point of Jesus' ministry, and as far away from Jerusalem as he ever traveled, there Moses and Elijah spoke with Jesus about his ministry. His mission and what lay ahead of him was to fulfill the work of the Messiah in his return to Jerusalem. Reassuring and encouraging him that the future return to Jerusalem, including his death, as painful as it would be, as Terry reminded us of this morning, were the right plans ahead of Jesus. We don't know exactly what woke the three disciples, but Peter once again didn't stand a chance of saying something intelligent. Not only was he startled from his sleep, but his reputation of speaking before thinking would continue. Peter was awake enough to read the body language and hear the conversations between Moses and Elijah with Jesus. So he blurts out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters, three tabernacles, three temporary accommodation places, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. A desire to honour the three, but also in the hope that they would stay just a little longer. A desire to capture that moment, which the disciples had mostly until now slept through. But just as these words are coming out of Peter's mouth, a cloud consumed them, and from the cloud, they heard the awesome voice. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the three got to their feet, they looked around and realized that not only were they now alone with Jesus, but that this wasn't a dream. It's understandable that there are times um, in our life where we would just want to stay and soak up a moment. The world around us could fade away and we would not even know it, that we wish that we could just have that moment captured in what was before us. For Peter, James and John, I think this was their moment for them. Perhaps even for Jesus being with Moses and Elijah, who he centuries earlier as the son of God had ministered to and supported in their ministry. Now they are there for him, supporting him, encouraging him, cheering him on in the work that he has done so far and now was about to do. Oh, to linger, linger in that moment just a little longer. The sky to the east begins to glow with the dawning of a new day as the disciples with Jesus made their way, way back down the western slope of Mount Hermon. Their mind and conversation buzzed with all that had taken place and all that it could mean. By the time they reached the tree line, the sun's fresh rays had caught up with them. As they came closer to the town, they could see a large crowd had gathered. The crowd was distracted from their arrival at the, um, into that area by the vigorous arguments ensuing between the remaining disciples and a group of religious leaders. When the returning pilgrims were almost um, upon the ever-increasing crowd, someone noticed Jesus' arrival. Breaking away, they rushed to greet him. Luke records the father in verse 38. Teacher, I beg, you to look at my, I beg you to look at my son, my only child. An evil spirit keeps seizing him, making him scream. 
It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It batters him and hardly ever leaves him alone. I begged your disciples to cast out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. Seeing the crowd of onlookers, religious lawyers arguing with the other disciples who are trying all the harder to help the father without success. Jesus' frustration is made plain. You faithless and corrupt people, Jesus said. How long must I be with you to put up with you? Then he said to the man, bring your son here. The Gospel of Mark is often an abbreviated um, in its stories, but on this occasion, Mark chapter 9 goes into a lot more detail. And so we pick up the story in Mark 9 verse 20. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. It's like he's saying, I I believe this much, but I know you need me to believe this much. Help me make up the difference. When Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into a violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead and murmur ran through the crowd as the people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Returning now back to Luke chapter 9, verse 43. After Jesus gave the boy back to his father, all gripped the people as they saw this majestic display of God's power. Talk about coming down from the transfiguration with a thud. You know, what a contrast that was from being up in the the heights and and, and this goosebump um, crescendo moment to just the the raucous and the, the crowd and all that was going on. Only a day ago was the highest point of um, ministry, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, all together, and Peter and James and John being a part of it as his closest friends and followers. There they were in this beautiful moment. And then, less than 24 hours later, putting it bluntly, Jesus here is dealing with the crap of life. A boy externally scarred and burned by fire and water being his enemy possessed by the epitome of evil, waging war against a defenseless defenseless child. It's heartbreaking stuff. It would be enough for some to want to run back up the mountain and try and recapture what seemed to be an eternity away. But Jesus didn't come for the transfiguration. Jesus didn't come for the mountaintop crescendo. Jesus came to deal with the tough stuff of life, to minister into those moments 
and to bring transformation. We're reminded of Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind would see, that the oppressed would be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favour has come. And I know that life gets hard and that ministry can often be messy. And I know that we can long for a mountaintop experience and uh, an experience where you feel like you're touching heaven itself. But it's into the arguments, the frustration, the hurt and the broken that Jesus brings his transformative presence. And it's into those same situations today that Jesus calls us to follow him. That's why Northern exists. Where, yes, absolutely, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And that's a part of it, but only a part of it. You see, Jesus wants us to be his transformative followers, to bring good news to the poor, seeing captives set free, that those who are blind would see the world and its creator like they have never seen before, that those who are oppressed, suffocated by the weight of the world, are set free, and that Yahweh God's immeasurable favour is there for them, that God is for them. How might we respond today? Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you that even though we can long to be a part of those mountaintop moments where the world and all um, the stuff of life is transfigured into something amazing, Lord, when we can just leave this world behind us and, and just forget about it for a while. And as good as those moments are, we recognise that you came for the tough stuff of life, that you came to minister to the broken, to those in deep need, to those that life just seemed to be busted up and that you want to bring your healing, your ministering presence. And I ask for those of us today that are feeling that in our lives, that you would help us to minister your presence um, to others, but also that we would experience your healing on our broken bodies, our broken hopes and dreams. God, would you do amazing work in our lives and through our lives. Amen. So I'm interested in um, how we might respond today. And I've got a um, slide that Stephen will put on. I invite you, as you look at um, these words on the screen, that you might want to grab out your mobile phone or um, uh, your email or chat um, via Zoom and just share your thoughts about what you might think God might be saying to you today.